Thank you again for that leading in worship. It's been beautiful. I'm glad I'm here just for the worship alone, besides all the fun I've had with the rest of you at another level. But that was beautiful. No need to fear. No need to fear. Well, uh, I've had a wonderful day. I don't know about you, but I enjoy all these folks here, uh, even the Davis Cal guys. And uh, uh, the, I heard one tonight that was new to me. Uh, a lady, a very distinguished-looking lady, said, you know how you know that someone went to Stanford? They'll tell you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. That's, that's obviously a very, very bitter non-Stanford, obviously, yeah. Well, anyway, praise the Lord for a good time. And you guys have been a blessing to me and my wife, and we're really blessed to be with you. Uh, today, I finally fulfilled my vow to Dave. Uh, what's his name again? Dave something. Yeah, and uh, uh, he's calmed down. He's a little friendlier to me now. So I promise tomorrow morning to do it again. I don't care how long I have to stay. Uh, unfortunately, the booklets that we gave away are all gone, but we got more at home. If you want some, write to us. You can find it. You can Google it and ask for it. We'd love to send you uh, booklets, evangelistic booklets, and victorious living ones just as a gift to you. The other one, I'm afraid you have to pay because the bookstore bought them, not me. So there you go. But um, this week has been an unusual week for my wife and I. Joyful here with you, but you know something that seldom happens, I think. Two of her brothers went to be with the Lord in the last week. Uh-huh. One John, who was about 78, maybe, yeah, close to 80, but somewhere there. He went to be with the Lord up in Oregon. And yesterday, her other brother, David, who was probably 80, uh, fell. A very big hit. The doctor said, let's not do anything about it. And he went to be with the Lord yesterday evening. So, in a way, when we talk about heaven, they were both believers, Hallelujah, they're in heaven. The wife, I'm sure, is suffering, the two wives and so on. But they are enjoying themselves in the presence of the Lord. No need to fear when you know Jesus Christ. And therefore, uh, but, but I thought I'd tell you that uh, because it kind of brings it down to reality right now, right here at Mount Hermon this very week. And, uh, and it's an unusual uh, situation that happened. Now, you know, I'll, I'll open up by telling you this. I was 83 years old, two years ago, when they found my tumor. And uh, they've done all sorts of things on me, and the Lord has used it. Uh, they did chemotherapy that was really heavy hitting. I never, I never smoked pot. I didn't go to Stanford, and uh, I, uh, much less Berkeley. And uh, so I never smoked pot. I hardly drank any wine because in my circles it was considered bad, and it probably is. But anyway, and then they did immunotherapy on me. That didn't seem to work. Uh, they did radiation for my spine. Then they did a procedure. I said to my doctor, you call it a procedure. To me, it's surgery. Don't call it a procedure. To him, it's just chup, chup, you know. But for me... And then now we've got a lower level of what you call it, of chemo. And the Lord is using it for his glory and wants me down here and come and bug you people from the various universities of California. And uh, the rest of you, I'll be merciful with you. But you know, uh, uh, when they tell you you have incurable drug cancer, uh, uh, incurable cancer, uh, I was ready, uh, even at this place, many years through the decades. I've always come bring up the subject of heaven. Some of you have heard me, and you're back for some reason. But, uh, you know, and, and you begin to think a little bit more. Like if you're going to take a vacation in Switzerland, you kind of study the map, and you figure, you know, what shall we look at? Well, I, I decided I want to check out heaven just a little bit more, you know, see what it's like. President Bush Sr., uh, the week uh, he died... The Episcopal pastor, a believer, surprise, uh, in Houston, uh, came to visit him, a, a true believer, and Bush once said to him, okay, it seems like it's three or four days to go. Tell me all you know about heaven in the next 15 minutes. So the uh, fellow did it. The pastor did it. and told Bush one about heaven and what the Bible says and what he could recall at the moment. So besides massaging his feet, which apparently he needed, he was telling him about the Lord and they finished in prayer. And two days later, the Lord took him home. So we are all interested and we all should be. But, you know, uh, people have imaginations about heaven. 
people will say, yeah, he went to a better place or he went to heaven. Sometimes they don't even know what heaven is. They don't read the Bible. And in our church, well, my, our pastor's grandmother, no, mother, oh, who cares? Anyway, one of them, uh, the, uh, she, she died. And somebody in the church said, Nana is an angel now. Not in the word, you know. Nana is not an angel. Nana is Nana. That's it. Except she's glorified at this point because she was in the presence of the Lord. But people come up with ideas. I picked up some California ideas. They were probably children of Davis. And, uh, but uh, I, I've read a few before, but I'm going to read you. This was seven, eight, and nine-year-old school children from Orange County. So the rest of you up north can wash your hands. But uh, this girl says... Uh, 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 boy, Randy, eight years old. When I die, I don't want to go to heaven because I want to be with all my friends. Uh, he, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, poor guy. He is a Californian. Um, then uh, I like Steve K. When you die, God takes care of you like your mother did when you were alive. Only God doesn't yell at you all the time. It's not in the book, but it may be, he may be right. Uh, oh, here's the one that I thought fit, fit this group, even if my wife doesn't want me to do it. You have to be old before you can die because God seems to love old people best. <laughs> nice thought. It's a California kid. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. This one, Jimmy. When you die, they bury you in the ground and your soul goes to heaven. But your body can't go to heaven because it's too crowded up there already. <laughs> Brilliant little fellow. Yes, yeah, see. Oh, this one is really unbiblical. Only the good people go to heaven. The other people go where it's hot all the time, like in Florida. <laughs> Not Palm Desert, Florida. Yeah. Let's see. What other heretics do we have here? It's quite a pile. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is what I like. God doesn't tell you when you're going to die because he wants it to be a big surprise. <laughs> so he sure surprised me. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, this one I've always liked. When you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> I, I, that, that was brilliant. This one is really unique. The hospital is the place people go to on their way to heaven. Yikes. Yeah, I've been on my way several times this year, yeah. And this one is my favorite, all-time favorite. I'm not afraid to die because I'm a Boy Scout. Ah, a real macho, yeah, a real man. But anyway, getting a little more serious, a few years ago when I was here, I did speak about heaven, and I tried to come up with a quotation from C.S. Lewis, and I botched it up. So somebody sent me an email and 13, that was, and it's a good one from C.S. Lewis, a brilliant Oxford, Cambridge, in case you didn't know, and a very biblical uh, believer in Jesus Christ who was an atheist during World War I, then he became a believer, etc. Wonderful fellow. So he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so inefficient in this one. Pretty, far, pretty sharp, isn't it? So what he's saying, you, you get it. I don't have to tell you what he's saying. He said it. And, uh, but there's another passage I want to read to you from Deuteronomy, chapter 29, and it goes like this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed are for us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. So the Lord has revealed quite a bit about heaven, and it's kind of a joyful thing to think about because most of us, well, most of us in this room, God willing, we're going to heaven, right? Trusting Jesus Christ. It's kind of nice to know what the Scripture says, and there's more to it than you imagine. Sometimes you hear people sloppily say, well, the Bible doesn't talk much about heaven. I don't know what Bible they're reading, Jehovah's Witness or something, but I, I, I mean, the, in just three books that I got, Hebrews, 18 times heaven is mentioned, 18 times. In the book of Acts, 26 times heaven, the subject of heaven is brought up. And in Revelation, 45 times. 
So I don't think that the Bible doesn't touch on it. I think it touches it quite a bit, you know. And therefore, it's encouraging to think that we can be used of the Lord uh, to think about it. So I would like to read three or four passages. I hope you don't mind. But if you do, that's okay. I'll do it anyway. And uh, let's read, first of all, John 14. It's the passage my mom drove home to me and my sisters when my dad died. I was only 10 years old, and we wondered, you know, where did he go? And my mom was a believer already. The missionaries had led our family and my dad to Christ. And, uh, he, uh, uh, and she read John 14. So most of you know it off by heart. But you know, it's always good to read the word again, isn't it? We've all read John hundreds of times. Here we go. John 14. Listen to this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and snatch you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered the famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, <clears throat> you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So here the Lord Jesus mentions that heaven is the Father's house. And one thing about, I liked about the old King James Version is that where the NIV says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, the King James said, in my father's house there are many mansions. I prefer the King James. Room sounds like a Motel 6 to me. You know, I want a mansion. Forget Motel 6. I'm, not, I'm all for it. I wish I owned one. But nevertheless, I want a mansion in heaven. Don't you, Dave? You, you belong in a mansion. And uh, so that's the word of the Lord there. Then let's go to Acts chapter 7. The first person mentioned in the scriptures that went to heaven after the Lord Jesus ascended himself into heaven. And it's chapter 7 of Acts, chapter 7, and the fellow was Stephen, the first martyr mentioned in the Bible who died for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. You remember that. He gave a long speech, sort of like I do, and blamed David all, for it all the time. But the, 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 Stephen gave this long message, and here he comes to the end of the message he tells the people who were listening, you killed the king of glory. And they were not very happy about that. And then look at what it says in verse, uh, what is it, 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later became St. Paul, as you know. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, every word is worth looking at it there. But the, uh, the, the thought, well, I come back to it. And then one last reading in Revelation chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6, and then chapter 7, 9 to 12. It's worthy. It's a vision in heaven by the Apostle John, who is telling us what he saw. And look at, he'd been talking to the seven churches of uh, Asia Minor. And now, in chapter 4, you remember how he opens up. Look at what it says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. A door standing open in heaven. And the voice 
that I heard speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there uh, had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 10, 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the sevenfold spirit of God. And before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Uh, you got to let that sink in, the vision that he gives of heaven, the throne, the 24 thrones, which most uh, interpret from Revelation, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And uh, there's the, the throne. And uh, uh, the, the rainbow over the throne explains the sevenfold spirit of God. It's one spirit in seven parts. And then the last reading is in chapter 7, and it's a beautiful one also, verses 9 to 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. A lot of Pentecostals there. Uh -huh. <laughs> they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Man, doesn't that transport you right there? We could probably bow our heads, meditate and pray and go to bed, you know. I mean, there's so much there. But you know, the scripture says, I has not seen, here has not heard, and the mind of man has not conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And the Lord's, of course, you can't describe in human terms. St. Paul tells in chapter 12, I think, of 2 Corinthians, that he was transported to the third heaven. Do you remember that? To paradise. And that he saw things so amazing that it is unlawful to tell about it. It was so staggering, so amazing. And he says, to keep me humble because of the vision I saw in paradise, the Lord sent this you know, envoy of Satan to keep me in my place so that I wouldn't get big-headed about it. So there's great stuff ahead. But what God has revealed us for us and for our children forever and therefore, we can look at what the God says. And then another principle as we think about this, uh, not only heaven, but all other doctrines. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 6, I think it says, I want you to learn from me and from another friend of his, whose name I forget. He said, not to go beyond what is written. I like that principle. Underline it somewhere. Don't go beyond what is written. We're tempted to imagine we attempted to sort of create things. One of my greatest mentors was Ray Steadman. And he always used to go into this thing about, you know, heaven could be six inches from here. I said, oh, Ray, just shut up. You know, I mean, we used to have arguments. He and his wife were against him. And uh, me and my wife, that is. 
me and his wife against Ray. He would come up with these ideas that heaven could be right here and they could be watching you. Can you imagine how depressed they would be if they could see everything you and I do and think, forget it, poor guys, let them enjoy themselves, you know? But the thing is, don't go beyond what is written. Temptation tells you, I wonder what this was like and I wonder what that was like. Don't wonder. Enjoy what's been revealed. Sing about it. Praise him and wait for the day when we get there and we'll all sit around and say, so that's what it meant, you know? How come we didn't get it over there at Mount Hermon. Now we get it, you know. We are seeing it eye to eye. But you know, when you look at the passages, there are certain things that hit me that were fresh to me. At least I thought about it afresh when they told me, you know, by, by Christmas of 797 or whatever it was, you're out of here. The first thing is this. Heaven is the place of the throne of God and God Almighty, our creator, established his throne in heaven. Several times you might remember reading in your scriptures where it says, heaven is my throne, the Lord says, and the earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne. So the first scene that we read about in chapter 4 of Revelation is heaven and there before me, a throne. And seated on the throne was obviously God the Father. And seated at the right hand was God the Son. And in Hebrews it says that Jesus, when he finished his work, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God because the, the job he came to do was finished. But when you read what happened when Stephen was killed, I don't know if you noticed, but it says, he said, I see the glory of God and the Son of Man standing by the throne. Billy Graham came with this interpretation. He said, I think Jesus stood up and said, Stephen, welcome, my boy. Thank you for being faithful and being the first one killed for the sake of my name. Billy may be right, and he usually was. But you know the idea that the Lord was standing to welcome Stephen up into the heaven to the glory. But you know, the, 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 the main thing that I think we need to remember is this. Heaven, therefore, is a place where God says, that's where my throne is. I am in the third heaven, paradise. There I am. This is my throne. And it says in Revelation that there are other ways of expressing the throne. You remember most of you in Revelation 20, I think it is, where it talks about the great white throne. You remember? Uh -huh. It's a legal situation where God the Father is seated at the throne as the judge. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. But you know, will not the judge of all earth do right? Yes, he will. And those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, if there are some of you here tonight who still don't know Jesus Christ, maybe your wife does, maybe your children do, and you don't, uh, you will stand before the throne of God, and it's not going to be a pretty sight, because if you die without Christ, you're lost forever, and there is no second chance. Once you're dead, your destiny has been determined. Lately, in preaching about this, uh, I, I like to say, you know, there are only two airports on the other side. <clears throat> and in English, they both start with the letter H. Heaven and hell. Hell is not a recommended landing place. Uh, planes, all, all the planes, when they land there, they burst and explode. I recommend heaven, you know. That's the other airport. And we all land on the other side. Now, that's going beyond Scripture, so don't take it too far. But uh, uh, nevertheless, it helps some people get the point. Heaven is the place of God's throne, God Almighty is seated in heaven. The second thing that has hit me, and I'm sure it's hit you before, is this. We read it a few seconds ago, that heaven is filled with a multitude of people uncountable to the human mind. From every tribe and nation and people and language, heaven is jammed with people. And you may say, well, gee whiz, uh, I know a lot of people who don't believe in the Lord. The percentages in my neighborhood, you know, how many believers are there in a Bible church? But you know, think of all the babies who have died. All the babies who've been aborted, they're in heaven. All the people who die very young, they're in heaven. And more people probably have repented and believed what light they have than we imagine. You know, but the interesting thing is heaven is a place jammed with people and God wants you and I to go to heaven and thank God for Jesus Christ who came to make it possible. But I like that passage, a multitude that no one could count. It is filled with people and not just a handful of a few of us. There are millions upon millions. I don't know if they have computers yet in heaven, but I'm sure they can count it and document it. But nevertheless, they couldn't count it. 
The third thing I wanted to tell you about heaven is this. Heaven, Jesus calls, is my Father's house. And you know, that really for a believer is the key, isn't it? Who, he is our Father. And we're going over to his house. And he's prepared a place for us, the Lord Jesus says. My wife used to speak on heaven when she spoke to women some years ago. And she always emphasized the idea that human beings like to have a place that they can call theirs. And heaven is the place where when we go, we're going to say, ah, that's it. That's what I wanted. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be glorious beyond man's imagination, hearing, or sight. You know, I, I like the concept of uh, uh, mansions. I, I always thought, wouldn't it be nice if heaven was a mansion on the Caribbean with perfect, everything working forever perfectly and enjoying yourself? Some people say, no, we're going to work. I thought, gee, we worked enough on earth. Do we have to work some more? It appears that we will be working, but we'll probably enjoy it because we'll have energy. But the fact is that heaven is the Father's house and it's a place. And, you know, we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If one of you even tonight, you still don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says, uh, to all those who receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. So we can call him our father. Someone says, you know, well, if God created everybody, isn't he everybody's father? No. The Bible distinguishes, you know, most of you know it, but I should say it. Uh -huh. God uh, distinguishes between being people created by God and children of God. Yes, we're all created by God, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but he also makes us his children the moment we offer our, our hearts to Jesus Christ and he comes into our life. So it's our Father's house, and where we're going is not a creepy, fearful, uh, no, we have nothing to fear. We're going straight to the Father's house. And you know the beautiful thing about all the references to heaven in, in the Bible is that the Lord has explained it in such a way that a theologian from Oxford or Cambridge or Edinburgh or wherever can understand it. And a little old lady who's illiterate in the highlands of Bolivia listening to the reading of the words, she can understand it too. The Lord so paints the picture of what heaven is like that everybody who wants to, can understand it. And to me, that's very encouraging. Uh, okay, I'll keep going because otherwise I'm, I'm going to... But one thing to remember is this. We sometimes forget because we want to enjoy life on earth and we should and we can and the Lord wants us to enjoy it. That nevertheless, we are nothing but pilgrims on planet earth. You know, St. Peter says it in his epistles. It's mentioned two or three other places. We're, we're aliens and strangers on the earth. There was an old Negro spiritual, as I used to call them in the old days. Uh, and I wrote down the words, but I'm trying to find them now. Um, let's see, let's see. Uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Uh -huh. You know, we're passing through. And therefore, though we enjoy what we do on earth, we have a good time. Nevertheless, we are strangers and pilgrims. We're on our way to the real place that we're aiming for. And it's our Father's house. And it's got to be the most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine. That's just a beautiful thought. But let's proceed. You seem a little dull. Are you okay? Yeah? Uh -huh. I'm a, it's so good that you can't even smile, huh? Yeah. Uh -huh. Here we go. Heaven is a place where the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ is the theme of almost every song that is mentioned in heaven. Uh, Professor Coleman, Robert Coleman, who taught at Trinity and Gordon Conwell and so on, he did a study of the songs of heaven. If you can find the book, get it. It's, it's a very beautiful devotional. But he shows that most of the songs of heaven are based on the cross and the blood of Christ, and the resurrection, and the glory, and also creation, but mostly the cross, and the blood of Jesus Christ. And of course, why? Because that's the reason we can get to heaven. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, none of us would ever enter heaven, because our sins would keep us out. God is a holy God. But the blood of Jesus Christ purifies our conscience from evil works, so that we can serve the living and true God. And so the theme of worship is Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, the blood that he shed. And I think it's marvelous when in chapter 7, when it says, and praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And then later on it says, why? Because you 
died for us. And that's why we worship the Lord. And in heaven, there's joy, there's happiness, and there's worship. And the guilt is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then heaven also, as you read it, you realize it, is a place where the Holy Trinity is honored and magnified over and over. It, talks, it refers to God the Father, to the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the sevenfold spirit, which is the best translation of that, past, of that word in, in, the, in, in the book of Revelation, sevenfold spirit. One spirit in seven ways of revealing God Almighty. The Trinity is the center of worship also. And it should be on earth too also as we get ready for the day when we get up to heaven. When we understand finally how one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. It's, there's a mystery there. But you know there's a mystery to you and me too. I often like to pitch this in just to help you relax a little bit and try to understand the Trinity. You and I, we are a Trinity too. We are created in the image and likeness of God. He is three, one God in three persons. We are one person in three parts, body, soul, and spirit, created in image and likeness. So you and I, and you notice when Stephen says he's dying and he in intelligently understood, he said, Father, receive my spirit. His body was killed by the stoning and buried somewhere in Israel. But where was Stephen? He went to be with the Lord. We'll come back to that in a second. Now, another thing that excited me in the book of Hebrews about heaven is that we have a great high priest uh -huh, who is in heaven, who appears for us before God the Father, an intercessor, an advocate, an attorney, if you like, a spiritual attorney, our, old Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, who represents us before the Father and before the justice and righteousness of God. And even we as believers disobey. Yes, sometimes we do pretty nasty stuff. And the, the Lord, I'm sure, has to appear and say, Oh, Father, here goes Luis Palau again. These Argentines can't control themselves. You know, but because of my death in his behalf, please have mercy on him. Don't knock him out. Don't sap him because, after all, he's one of the ones I died for and he's been forgiven. He intercedes for us. And to think that our Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for you and me uh, before God the Father and before the justice and righteousness of God. What an amazing thought that is, you know. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, you remember chapter 1, I've told some of you several times this, but I never get tired. When my father died, I was 10 years old. And he'd come to Christ thanks to missionaries who came down to Argentina, brought us the Bible, brought us the good news, and brought us Jesus Christ. And uh, my dad knew the Bible pretty well. He'd been a Christian for nine and a half years when the Lord took him home. He got bronchopneumonia, and within nine days, he was on his way, and he knew it. And they sent him home, and those days they did that, and instead of keeping him in a hospital uselessly, he went home, and he was yellow as could be. He was very weak, and he knew that he was on his way. And he knew the word quite well, too. He and the missionary used to go planting churches. They planted nine churches, one every year, in, a little, uh, in, a, in every town around this area outside of Buenos Aires. Those churches are still there. Amazing. I've taken our boys to show it to them when we've been in campaigns in Argentina. But my dad was in bed, he sat up, it's in the book so you can read the details, but <clears throat> he sat up in bed and he began to sing a song, just a simple Salvation Army song, clapping his hands about heaven. Bright crowns up there, bright crowns for you and me, the palm of victory, the palm of victory. And he sang it three times. And then exhausted from the galloping fever, his head fell on the pillow and he pointed up to heaven. The family was around the bed. I was only 10. He pointed up to heaven and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better by far. And a few moments later, he went to be with the Lord. And that picture has stayed with me. Now that I'm 85, it's like, you know, you can never forget it. And it was so biblical, singing, clapping, knowing where he was going, Quoting the Holy Scriptures, I'm going to be with Jesus. Like St. Paul, it was the words of Paul, which is better by far. I should stay to help you guys out here, he says in Philippians. But for me, I'm torn. 
I want to go and be with the Lord. And you know, that's the beauty of it. That when we know our Lord Jesus Christ, we know where we're going when we die. Now, let's go to the next point I want to make. It's a question, sort of an intermediate question. When do we go to heaven? There are two ways to get to heaven. One is through Jesus Christ. But at the second coming, Jesus is coming back. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, John chapter 14. He's coming back in the clouds to take up the church in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So at that point, millions of believers, hopefully millions on earth, will go together in one with twinkling of an eye. Bang, just like that. And their bodies will be transformed, the Bible says. And the bodies of those who died in Jesus all these centuries will be raised instantly, transformed into a body spiritual that will be identical to the body of Jesus Christ in terms of eternity, a spiritual body, it says in Corinthians. And we will always be with the Lord. The other way to go to heaven through Jesus Christ is when you die ahead of the second coming, when he, before he comes in the clouds of the air. But so when my father died, uh, I, I was only 10, as I told you, he was in the casket. In Argentina, they bring the casket to the home and the people pay their respects in the home and so on. So there was my dad, yellow as could be, and uh, ready to be taken to the cemetery. And, but I thought to myself, okay, I said to my mom, and my sisters did too, you know, where is dad? I mean, they were going to bury his body, but where is he? She said, well, he's with the Lord. He's in the Father's house. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, which we weren't able to read tonight, there's too many passages to read. Absent from the body, King James, present with the Lord. When a believer leaves the body behind, the soul and spirit, the real you, instantly goes to be with the Lord. And you know, one of the thoughts, that, since I sat meditating quite a way, today Mike, the director of uh, Mount Hermon, asked me, you know, what, uh, what thoughts cross your mind while you were in the first few weeks? Uh, was it shock? Was it fear? And so on. One of the thoughts that has always, has always been lingering in my mind has been when Jesus rose, uh, raised uh, uh, Lazarus from the dead, you remember the verse we've all memorized, or most of us did at one time. Anyway, uh, I am the resurrection and the life, remember? Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I always used to think about it and thought, there's a contradiction here. I don't like to think negatively, but I thought, how does this work? Well, you know, I concluded what happens is this. Yes. When you die, and the doctor says, Luis Palau, he's gone. He's finished. The body will go to the cemetery in the west side of Portland. By the way, it costs a lot to get rid of a body. Uh -huh. <laughs> My wife and I have already paid for hours. Shush. Wait, uh, why did I throw that in? Just to warn you. Yeah, to warn you. But you know, uh, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. But what? Is he dead or is he alive? Both. The body is buried, but where's Louis Palui? In the presence of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is that whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He came to destroy death. I was reading in First Timothy or Second Timothy the other day as we, I was reading for this weekend. And you know, so yes, in a sense you died, but... Instantly, you're in the presence of the Lord. So you died by leaving the body behind, but you're in the presence of God Almighty. And let's go on, because I don't want to, first, my time is tight, and secondly, there's so much more to say. Now, in heaven, and we'll come back to some of package it together, in heaven there are books. Now, I've read about that for, since I was a kid, but when I finally was lying there with injections and all sorts of funny stuff, I, I thought about it. Wow. The books, there are two sets of books. There's a pile of books, plural, and that's where all the evil deeds of Jesus will be looked at by the judge. And then there's another book. You remember what it's called? The book of life. Yeah, the book of the Lamb, the book of life of the Lamb. There, it's only one book, singular. Now, that's going a bit far in my interpretation, but I think it's absolutely real that all that's in that book is the name of those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. 
Our deeds are not there at that point. But the unbelievers, in case they want to argue with a judge, it's all documented. So anybody who's got the guts to confront the Lord and say, I was a nice guy. I was nice to my mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the list of what you did. Particularly, you rejected my son and you didn't repent, and you didn't humble yourself. So there are books in heaven. That's an interesting thought. I'd read it, but somehow it impacted me when I read it on this occasion. And uh, God is the judge, and at the white, great white throne, the books will be opened, just in case anybody wants documentation of why they have chosen to be condemned forever and ever by refusing to repent and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Next point. Heaven is the happy, eternal home of the children of God. You know, uh, every picture that you see of heaven itself in the Bible is of joy and singing and cheerfulness and worship. Everything that makes life exciting and happy and useful and beautiful. The children, excuse me, I get dry with this business of chemotherapy, uh, uh, the, the, the eternal people of God. So they will have the joy. And the greatest joy to me, I think of it, is to see the face of Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many beautiful things about heaven when it says, his servants shall see his face. Now, I want to see my dad. Yeah, I do. I haven't seen him, you know, for 75 years. I haven't seen him. I want to tell him all the stuff that's happened if he doesn't know, just in case. Maybe he won't want to know, but I want to tell him anyway. You know, hey, I was in Russia, Dad. I was in Spain. I went to Vietnam and China. And I, Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. really do. Yeah, this is bad. You get so dry. Different people react differently. I get dry. This is a bad thing to do. They say a preacher should never drink in front of the audience because everybody's thinking, where's my water? You know? <laughs> and uh, you suddenly you realize you're thirsty yourself. But anyway, I had to do it or there'd be no sermon, which could have been a good idea. But uh, <laughs> the next thing about heaven is this. Heaven is a place of moral purity and holiness. Spurgeon had quite a few sermons on heaven. I've only read a few snatches because... He, he talked on and on. And, and, um, but he said, think about this. We will never sin again. Man, is that a nice thought, you know? I will never be mad at Dave again. And he'll never be angry. You know? And the, the thought that we will be able to absolutely live in holiness. No more repentance at night. No more saying, Lord, have mercy, I can, you know, whatever. Never again. A place of true holiness and purity. That's why the death and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is essential. So that we could enter into the place of holiness. And we ourselves encounter a, 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 a beautiful day. The next point I want to make is eternity, heaven, is a place of service. Uh, at the end, after uh, after the, the, some of you know enough eschatology to more or less fit into in your mind. After the millennium, what the Lord has planned, we don't know. New heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells, and we shall serve him, and we will serve him gladly. But his servants shall see his face. To me, that's the dream that most gets my attention. To think that the moment I close my eyes and I'm out of here, out of planet earth, I will see the face of Jesus Christ. You know, there are all these paintings around the world of artists' imagination of what Jesus looked like. And we have no idea what he... But to think that one day, you and I will see him. Yes, what an exciting thought that is. I'll see, I'll see so that's what you look like. <laughs> the painters really botched it up. You're so much better than what they painted, poor guys. They tried their best. During the Jesus people, there was a painting of Jesus that I really liked. I don't know who, the, who it was who did it, but I thought, boy, that looks like I imagined Jesus to look like. I won't tell you what it was like, but it was to my liking, but it probably won't be anything like that, you know. Now, Another thing about heaven that I notice as you study, the Lord wants us to think of heaven as up there. Now, cynics will say, well, when it's up there uh, in California, it's down there for Australia. Yeah, yes, how bright you are, you know. But the Bible says that he wants us to think of heaven as up there, yeah? He descended from heaven and was born of the Blessed Virgin by the work of the Holy Spirit. He ascended back into heaven 
And the disciples were looking as he was taken up into heaven and a cloud covered him from their eyes. And then the angels came down, you remember in Acts chapter 1, and said, oh Galileans, what are you looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who's been taken up into heaven, will come in like manner, like you saw him go up. If the Lord wants you to think of heaven as up there, you do what the Bible says, not what the cynics. The Lord wants us to think, it's up there. And that's, uh, of course, we'll understand it much better when we get there. But in the meantime, that's what he tells us to do. So when you think about heaven, pray to him, worship him. And remember, he is up there. And the Lord wants us to think of that, to think of us, uh, uh, of him in, in, in that way. And then the great thing when you read in Revelation and all the passages related to heaven, it's that heaven is a place of absolute perfection. Everything, you know, we've all tried uh, to, 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 to be perfect, or we love to think that we get intellectually bright, emotionally stable, financially wealthy, you know, just super guys and super women. But when we get to heaven, perfection will finally come. Will that be exciting or what? You don't have to go to UC Davis, you don't have to go to Berkeley, not even Stanford, okay? No, we will all be transformed into perfection. Four, five big areas of perfection. The first one is amazing. We shall be like him, 1 John chapter 3, because we shall see him as he is. It's moral likeness, moral perfection. We shall be like him, not in appearance, I presume, because Jesus is the Son of God who created us in our mother's womb. But we shall be like him in moral perfection. That is an exciting thought, that you and I will be perfect at last. That's exciting. Secondly, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, we shall know fully even as we are known. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 13? We shall know fully as we are known. Perfect knowledge. At last, the questions that have haunted us and we wondered and cynics would throw at us and we kind of couldn't quite answer it, it'll all be clear. We shall know as we are known fully. We will understand and we say, how come I didn't get it? It's probably simpler than we thought. But nevertheless, what a thought that you and I will know as we are known. We will have perfect knowledge. That's an exciting concept. Number three, he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain or death. The old order of things has passed away. Perfect peace, perfect peace. No more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more hospitals on the way to heaven, as the kids said. No, perfect peace. Totally, completely, absolutely, no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more sickness. I like that. And then number four, our body will be raised imperishable, a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15. Our body will be perfect. It will be a new body, a resurrection body. The mystery will be Interesting to understand when we get there. But the scripture clearly says that there will be no more physical ailments. A perfect body. That is exciting too. Once at last we will be whatever we have dreamt of being. And then the fifth one that I wrote down, although we've touched it just in passing, it will be a, a, an eternity of perfect service to God. We will serve the Lord to perfection. We will do the right thing. We will have fun obeying whatever the Lord gives us to do. And we don't know what all will be involved. We really don't. But we know that we will serve and we will serve in perfection. Those are five areas that to me are very, very exciting. Now, why do we get to heaven? My reading of scripture, and I presume most of you feel the same way just from reading and reading and reading the word of God, is that the moment you close your eyes on earth, you go straight into the presence of the Lord. That's why the King James translation makes it simpler. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Bang. Bye-bye body, old body. I'll never see you again. I want the new body. You can pass away. Pay 15,000 bucks in Oregon uh, to see you disintegrate. But I'm going off to heaven and I'll never see your old body again. I'll have a new body. What will it be like? I hope I'm a little more perfect than I am now and that my face will be a little prettier. I don't have to grow a beard like my friend John, you know. Uh, I don't have to hide, you know. And uh, to be able to be in the presence of our Lord, it, it'll be a, a wonderful thing. And it'll also be a place of 
endless perfection and joy. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. If we have a good time, even here in Oregon, at Mount Her Oregon, in California, uh, at Mount Hermon even, and we're having such a good time. Imagine what is going to be in heaven. What a joy. What happiness. What singing. What worship. What it hasn't even come up in the imagination of man, the Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit. So that heaven is an endless place of celebration and worship and love and so on. And you know, the Holy Spirit teaches us this. And it's interesting, through the ages, records are there of people who have trusted the Holy Scriptures. Billy Graham, some of you remember, old boy, he went to be with the Lord just two years ago. His grandma, I've told this story before here, but I'll tell it again. His grandmother was a believer up in North Carolina, and she was on her way to glory. And the whole family was around the bed. Billy would tell this story. And uh, they thought one night that she was gone. But suddenly she sat up in bed. She stretched out her arms, and she said, there's Jesus. And she was gone. Man, that's the way I want to go. Uh -huh. She obviously saw the Lord coming, and yeah, she, she went to be with the Lord. That's what the experience of Mr. Graham's uh, gra uh, grandmother uh, had. And then I think that to get ready to get to heaven, we have to tell people, in case there are some of you here tonight who don't know if you're ready or not, you must make a commitment and receive your Jesus Christ into your life with a truly repentant heart in which you acknowledge you don't deserve to go into the presence of God, that you have offended him, that you have sinned against him, that you've broken the moral law. You've even broken your own rules and regulations and how much more God's rules and regulations. If you repent and you humble yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven and you will have eternal life. But you have to make a decision. You have to make a commitment yourself. And those of us who've done it can be at peace. Now, Satan will attack you. Uh, when um, our director here uh, was asking me at lunch, and he said, what, did you have any experiences that were odd? I want to warn you of something that's in the Bible that happened to the Lord Jesus the night that he was betrayed. And that gave me great confidence and great peace. One day, about a month after they told me that this was a terminal cancer and so on, I don't know how it suddenly came to me, a sense of almost like Satan, it wasn't a voice, but it was like a voice, who was saying to me, Luis, you little hypocrite, so you've preached to millions of people, you've had stadiums full of people, you told them how to get to heaven, but you're a dirty little sinner. And what if you're one of those that Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And, you know, Satan knows a lot of our stuff. Not everything, but well, he watches us. And he said, I felt, boy, that would be something. What if I did preach to all these people and suddenly the Lord chucked me out? And for about 48 hours, I was going through a, a spiritual, interesting battle. And finally I said, Lord, this can't go on. This is not of heaven. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is the devil attacking me. And suddenly the Holy Spirit reminded me when Jesus was at the garden praying with his disciples, he finished the upper room discourse and the uh, following discourse in John 17. And he says to his disciples, let's depart. Let's go back. The prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing on me. And I thought, ha ha. So Satan attacked the Lord Jesus. He's a shameless enemy. If he attacked the Lord Jesus, he will attack Luis Palau. And he will attack you too. So be ready. If you get attacked when the end is near or appears to be near, don't be shocked that the enemy may do to you what he did to me. And for about 48 hours, I thought, wow, wow, wow. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, I know better from doctrine. And since then, he's gone. I told him, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And he hasn't had the guts to come back. If he comes, I'll, you know, in the name of Jesus, get him out of there. But the fact was, I know the doctrine but when that temptation came, I had to reaffirm it. And the Holy Spirit reminding me of that one line in the Gospel of John. That the, Jesus says, the prince of this world is him, but he has no ground in me. No ground. He can't do anything. And the same is true of you and me. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are his property. We are bought at a price. We are not our own. 
body and spirit and soul belong to Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't let the enemy uh, frighten you or put you down. He'll try because he's an enemy. And he comes to steal your peace, steal your assurance, steal your security, steal anything he can. Steal, kill, he'd love to kill you and destroy. But Jesus Christ said, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. That's what it really is all about. So, <coughs> excuse me, this is bad. Uh, you probably made a mistake inviting me. but <laughs> So, just to wrap it up together. Heaven is the Father's house. He is preparing a place for us. It must be a beautiful place. We know where we're going when we die. We know that we'll come back with the Lord. Those of us who die before he comes, come with him. When the church will be taken up, bodies resurrected, a new body. Man, what a future before us. Therefore, we don't despair. We look to him. We thank him. We praise him. He's coming to take us. I'll come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And in the prayer in John 17, the Lord Jesus says to the Father, Father, I want that those who, those who you gave me will be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, the glory that you gave me before the creation of the world. The Lord wants you and me to be there in his presence, watching his glory, enjoying his presence. What a day that's going to be. Do you have the assurance of eternal life? I hope all of you do. If perchance there are some of you who don't, this would be the best moment to give your life to Jesus Christ and to say, oh God, I don't have the assurance of eternal life. And if you open your heart to Christ, even right now, he will come into your heart. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. You'll still have attacks from the enemy. Yes, sir. But you know that you're a child of God. You have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is your home. You will see him face to face. We will be in perfection. That is the, the, the eternal life coming to its fullness and its, it, its, its complete reality. So let's bow our heads for a moment before the Lord, shall we? And if you are here tonight and you still don't have the assurance of eternal life, oh, how I hope that you won't let another night go by not another hour even. But even right now, you would open your heart to the Savior and invite him into your heart. Even if you were brought up in a nice Christian home and you drifted away and you messed up your life royally and you feel, no, for me there's no hope. I've been a little hypocrite all my life. I knew better and look at me now. God will never forgive me. Don't ever say that. If you really want to have the assurance of eternal life, I'll guide you in a prayer. And I'll lead you in that prayer. And if you feel it in your soul, you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him and experience the peace of forgiveness, the assurance of eternal life, and knowing that you're going to heaven when the Lord calls you, if he doesn't come back in the clouds to take everybody together. So if you want to be forgiven, you want to become a child of God, or if perhaps you drifted away, but in your heart you know that you love him, you know that you trusted him, you stumbled along the way, maybe you thought the Lord is done with me, I deserve to go to hell. No. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You come to him and pray this surrender prayer. And remember that old hymn, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Won't you pray this prayer to receive Christ if you've never received him? Or to come back to walk with the Lord and enjoy the fullness of all the good things that eternal salvation involves. So let me guide you phrase by phrase. And if you feel it in your heart, pray to him and open your heart to Christ. Remember what he said. I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Invite him into your life. Don't let this moment go by. Come back to the Lord if you drifted away. Oh God, my Father, thank you for loving me undeservedly. Thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came down from heaven to rescue me. Tonight, O oh Lord Jesus, I bow before you with repentance. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Wash away all my guilt. Clean my conscience, O oh Lord, for my offenses against you. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And give me the assurance of eternal life. And I want to serve you, Lord Jesus, with all of my heart, till you call me home to come to your heaven as you promised. Thank you, Father. I'm your child now, and I will serve you and follow you. I will obey you, Lord, and try to win others into your kingdom. And one day in heaven, I'll see you face to face, and I'll fall at your feet to thank you for your great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you prayed that prayer, tell someone next to you or somebody you love tonight and tell them, I gave my life to Christ. Tell them. They'll love you more than ever before. And if you return to the Lord, begin to walk with God again. God bless you. Yeah.